People of God, looking once again in Second Peter uh, chapter 3, as we conclude our reading of this book uh, over the last three weeks, and as we particularly focus on verse 17 and 18, uh, knowing that context, uh, verse 13, summarizing uh, both the, the, the uh, and coming to that pinnacle point of what we look for in the second coming of Jesus Christ as God's people, the true focus of our eternal joy, an aspect of our eternal joy, as we are in the presence of God, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens uh, and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking of them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with er led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. People of God. We are, as God's people, to bring glory to God. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have the joy of witnessing uh, the training instruction in my, uh, one of my grandchildren, and one of them in particular uh, stands out at the moment. It's a two-year-old granddaughter. Uh, who, when my son or daughter, daughter-in-law, daughter, uh, asks her, Who made you? God, she says. What else did God make? All things. All things. And why did God make all things? For His glory, she says as her one-year-old brother imitates that with hand motions. For His glory! That is why God made all things. That's why God made you. He made us. That's why He redeemed His people. It is to bring glory to His name. Glory to God. And so we see that even in those small questions and answers, which actually come out of a Westminster Catechism for Children, there is this declaration of bringing glory to God. And we see that coming to know God with our mind, loving Him with our heart, results in this 
doxology. Theology leads to doxology, bringing glory to God. And so we look at this evening at four points concerning glorifying the Lord, three of which focus on the glorifiers. Who is it that brings glory? God describes us as those who would bring glory. And then there's a description of those uh, people, particularly his people. And then that we are guardians. We bring God glory by being guardians and keepers of that which God has given us. And, and we bring glory to him as we grow in the grace and in the knowledge And then we look at the final words of the book as they focus on the glorified one. Who is it that we are to bring glory to? Who is it that can glorify God? Well, in a certain sense, we know that the heavens and the earth, everything that God has created brings glory to Him. But we know that within the context of man, there are those that bring great dishonor in rebellion to God. But there are those who bring glory. Once again, you therefore, beloved, and we have seen this this word describing the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, the beloved, those who are loved by God, the beloved, those who love their fellow brethren and even their enemies. We are the beloved of God. We are we are. That characterized and we are to be defined as those who are beloved of God and who are loving God and our neighbor. It is an address to true believers, which is the constant theme of almost every New Testament book. The, the focal point of the, the recipients of the epistles and the gospel in particular. Uh, they are the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And that is the common theme. And it is to those and those alone who can bring glory to God. To those and those alone who can actually pray glory to God, sing glory to God, live to the glory of God. Outside of saving grace, a transformed life. Apart from being part of creation in general, it is not in the possibility of rebellious man to bring glory to God. But God would recognize that we are to bring glory to Him. And that within the church of Jesus Christ, it is those who are true believers, who have a true, pure heart, uh, those who have received the promises It is to those and those alone, not to the ones that may hear the word for a moment or hear the word for years in their youth and then reject that word. But it is to those who are true believers that are the glorifiers of our God. There is a clear recognition in Scripture and in the book of 2 Peter Uh, in all of God's Word, that even within the context of church, there may be those who are not the truly beloved. They may look like the beloved. They may be part of externally the beloved. 
We, we see that clearly in the teaching of Jesus. And for instance, Matthew 13, in the parable of the sower and the seed, that, that there are those within the context of the external church who, who grow up in the church or who may join the church for only but a moment, as it were, in the time of their life. We ought to remember that. And know that when the text is addressing those who bring glory to God, it is addressing only true believers at that moment. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he will receive the seed on stony place. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. One of the themes of this, uh, the verses that we're looking at is endurance, steadfastness. And we'll look at that in just a second. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And of course we know that in that day and age, well, may not know, but the Probably average yield was like more like 10. So 100 was simply a impossible yield. An impossible yield. But the child of God will bear such fruit. But our text describes that it is those who are glorifiers who remain steadfast in becoming, in being glorifiers. They are steadfast. They endure. They're, they're not on stony ground. They're not on the hard path. They're in the soil, the deep soil that nurtures, the deep soil out of which they live the reality of the Christian life. They are, according to the text, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, know what? Know that we have the glorious promises and and know that there are those who would attack the basic principles of Christian life, living in truth. And you know this, therefore, beforehand, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with error, but grow in grace and in knowledge. But be steadfast. We are called to be steadfast. A state of firm inner strength. A firm position. A state of security and safety. A place out of which one can live fruitfully. It's the Good ground. You are to remain steadfast. Now here's the question. Is it possible for a Christian to lose their faith? Well, we, uh, to lose salvation? Well, we know that that's impossible. It is impossible for a Christian to lose their salvation. Is it possible for a Christian 
from chapter 1, it would describe it as no longer growing. And chapter, and in this verse, it is that you, you do not remain steadfast. Is it possible to falter in a Christian life to a point of not being steadfast? Absolutely. That's possible. There have been various ways and, and titles for such a spiritual state. In this text, it would be that they are not steadfast. They fall from your own steadfastness. It's identifying those who are beloved. Uh, they, they have a steadfastness, but they fall from it. It is possible. It, this is not describing a, a Christian who may sin, a, a momentary sin, a Individual sin, a sin of a day, a sin within a day. We all sin every day. It is not talking about, is it possible for a Christian to sin? No, we know that. But it's possible to go beyond a state of having sinned in a, in a day to a, a state of being unsteadfast, to being tossed to and fro in, in the midst of, a, of falling short of becoming, having that become almost the pattern that David lost his steadfastness as his king. Uh, there are many Christians who, who might uh, become uh, in a state of non-steadfastness. It is not the permanent state of a believer. Uh, steadfast believers grow in the grace and in knowledge, are secure in the faith. They depend on the, wor- on the Lord. They are separate from the world. They recognize their sin. They are faithful in their relationships. They are operating out of position of strength in the Lord. They face trials safe and secure in Christ. This is the normal Christian experience. I sometimes uh, describe this with uh, in in various ways with what I call the five D's of the Christian life and we could call it the five D's of the life of steadfastness and a life of steadfastness is to desire to remain steadfast to be disciplined in my life of steadfastness to delight in steadfastness to be dedicated to steadfastness to develop in steadfastness that's what it means to grow and stay steadfast. It's to desire, be disciplined, delight in, dedicated, developed, and a deep dissatisfaction whenever I fall short in any way in my Christian life. And so God calls us to be secure and safe in steadfastness. And in, in when we are, that is what we will not be led away we will be, there will be a security of our position. That involves people being guardians. Guardians. Those who would guard. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfast being led astray away with the error. Uh, 17. Beware lest you fall. Beware lest you fall. The, the word for beware in this context uh, is a word that in, in the ESV, it's uh, translated 
knowing this before, take care that you are not carried away. Uh, it is uh, that you are not carried away, being led away, uh, and uh, be, being aware of being led away. Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard is the New American Standard for this uh, verse 17. Be on guard. Beware. Be on guard. Be steadfast. Steadfastness is is tied to being a good guard of that which God has given you. The truth. The new life. Compassion for Christ. Guard. Keep. Hold on to. One of the Old Testament words that's it's really become one of my favorite words. It's, it's, it really is a, the, the Old Testament word parallel to this. To, to keep is, is to the word to keep, to keep, to hold on to. And the word to keep in the Old Testament, and we think of it out of Psalm 119, for instance. And, and you could go to many other places in God's Word that talks about keeping the Word. Now, I think that sometimes when we see the word keep, we think obey. And, and there's an element to the word keep that means obey, but I submit to you it's much deeper and more profound than obedience. If it was, it was, the focus was only obedience, it'd use the word obey instead of the word keep. But why do we use the word keep? Let's just reflect for a few. That's this word uh, to be on guard, to keep, to beware of, to uh, in our text in verse 17 of Second Peter chapter 3. But Psalm 119 uh, will, uh, for instance, we'll go to verse 17. We'll talk about it. Psalm 119 verse uh, 17. This concept of keeping. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Uh, verse 67 of Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 101. 119.101. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. 158 would declare it this way. I see the treacherous and am disgusted because they do not keep your word. The people of God, to keep it involves the parables that talk about how you would leave all and you would sell everything you have in order to get that one pearl of great price. The word keep is to treasure. It is, it is to guard and treasure and hold as that which is most dear. In that sense, uh, parents keep particularly their youngest children. They treasure them, but they guard them. They protect them. And this has an element of protecting all that is dear to us spiritually whether that be the truth, our relationship with Christ, our life in Christ, we keep it. It's dear to us. We hold on to it and we never let it go. 
And so, people of God, to be guards is to be a keeper. Not just watching over something that I am not emotionally attached to, but keep implies that I treasure what I'm guarding. And so we are the keepers, the guardians of that which is so precious to us, the gospel, gospel living, Jesus Christ. We are to be that kind of a keeper because the potential pitfalls are all around us as it once again reminds us as we have this theme from the beginning to the end, just as we have the theme of the glories of the Word of God, so is this final. Verse 17 and 18 are like the the summary of the entire book is given to us here. And so you have this this, uh, emphasis on keeping and guarding as a lifestyle of the Christian faith, and then that you keep from falling, uh, uh, that you also fall from your own, uh, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. We talked about that error of the wicked, that false doctrine being led astray by it. But people of God, do not be led astray by the error of wicked men. When it says the wicked, it implies wicked men, not just wicked teachings. False teaching is connected to false teachers, and false teachers are wicked. They may sound nice. They may act kindly. You may think that they're much nicer than uh, some people who think it's really important to hold on to the truth of God's Word. But the Bible describes those who embrace error as wicked men. Wicked men. And so, it is not just wicked teaching, but it's wicked people. They themselves are wicked. And God says that we need to avoid their errors and we need to recognize them for who they are. And so, avoid and and flee from and hold steadfast to the truth and avoid the, the error of evolution versus creation or self-sexual gratification Avoid versus purity before the Lord, the error of self-sexual determination, which is part of that gender fluidity crowd, versus God-ordained sexuality. The error of non-directive parenting versus training your children in the Lord. The error of the addiction movement instead of redemptive rescue. The error of self-esteem psychological movement versus pride and a focus on esteeming and lifting up Christ, not ourselves. The error of heterosexual white male is the problem movement. I just read an article on that uh, this afternoon once again called radical race theory that's part of this this race theory that's going on. But the fact is, that the, the truth is, everyone is in sinful rebellion against God and his neighbor and is in desperate need of a redeeming Savior. 
in order to bring reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, black and white, or any other break, any other distinction that brings break, breakdown between human relations. The error of an eye for an eye instead of living out of the mercy and grace of God. The error of hedonism. Living for the pleasures of the flesh instead of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Their pragmatism is, if it works, do it, versus living to the glory of God. Do not embrace the error. For these are enemies of the cross of Christ. Lawless. But rejoice that there is this distinction between the law of life and and the law of the world. It's described for us in many different passages, but may we focus on that we would live to the glory of God. And we are the growers. Those who bring glory to God are the ones who grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. This is food for steadfastness, is living to the glory of God. Uh, Do not be involved in these, but grow in the grace, but bring glory to God. These are the alternatives, growing in grace and in knowledge. And we saw the theme throughout 1 Peter including that theme that says it doesn't matter how old you are or how young, how long you've been in the Lord, or how short you've been walking in faith. What's important is you're growing, and if you're growing, you will produce fruits of righteousness. And if you're not, well, a non-growing tree does not produce fruit. It has to grow. And so it is with the Christian life. We grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a growth process. But I might just remind us that this is a command. Grow in grace and in knowledge. But I am absolutely convinced that that command only comes in the context of grace being showered upon us, of promises being delivered to us. And so it is that in chapter 1, verse 2, this is the declaration. It begins with the blessing of God being showered upon us. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. That's not a command in chapter 1, verse 2. That is an absolute sovereign grace blessing coming upon the people of God. And when that blessing comes upon us, then we enter into a whole way of living. And our way of living is then... Part of that way of living is is seeking to obey the command, which is to grow in the grace and knowledge. But you can't grow in it unless you've already received the blessing of it. But once you've received the blessing, then you can grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then that steadfastness is possible. 
then growth and fruitfulness is the normal, abnormal Christian life. It's the normal Christian life, but the normal Christian life is abnormal to our sinful nature and to the ways of the world. And so, people of God, we would make every effort to be steadfast, every effort to add to, as chapter 1 would say it, every effort to add to our faith, to add to it in the very first verses, for this very reason, giving all diligence, might be as well, giving all steadfastness, chapter 1, verse 5, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours uh, and abound, they w- you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in Grace, never forget, never neglect, never underestimate, never take for granted grace, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, God, grace, undeserved love showered upon us, grace revealed in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, grace revealed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ imparted to us. Grace. Grace is more than, than thinking about certain things. Grace is a relational aspect. It is communion. It is growing in your experiencing. And the, the growth in your experience of the unmerited love and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is not simply knowing about something. It is experiencing someone, God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Growing in grace is growing in our relationship to God. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you dive deeper into Scripture, as you become, as you remind yourselves of the same old, old story, which for us ought never to get old, but it brings new mercies every day. Knowledge of the impact of grace, knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge of the necessary consequences of the truth of God's Word. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord, that is our Master, the one who is sovereignly declaring that He governs all things, psychology, education, politics, math, building, farming, church, home, school, every other area of life, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the grace and knowledge that comes from and through and unto our Savior Jesus Christ. And so it can, comes to this declaration, a declaration which can only be given to one who is true God, with a focus on praise to Jesus in this particular text. But in the context of Second Peter, it's praise to Father, Son, and in the context of all of Scripture, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To Him be the glory both now and forever. 
The focus and our heart and our soul and the center of grace is on the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why truly those who are reformed believers would never shrink from a declaration about the necessity of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not just a knowledge about Christ. It is an experience with Christ. It is growing in the grace and the knowledge, our, our, our intimacy with Christ. It is a person that we love and seek to glorify. And so every one of us ought to be able to say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you're a believer, that's exactly what it's all about. I will be your God and you will be my people. And therefore, we glorify Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our particular text, it will emphasize the glory that is given to the Son, who is declared to be the Lord. And and the title that's given in this final verse is Lord, Savior, Jesus, Christ. Not very often do all four such titles, there's more for Jesus, of course, but these four key titles all put together in the same verse, in the same place in Scripture. It happens that once in a while, here is one of those few times where all four titles are compacted together. Lord, Master, the one who would redeem, the one whose blood is shed. Jesus, that one who is the... I am who saves. Savior. Tied to the very word, Jesus. I am saves. Saves us from our sins. Saves us from ourselves. Saves us from our enemies. Saves us from the devil. Saves us from the wrath of God. And therefore, we would bring glory and honor to Him in words that would parallel Declarations of glory to the God uh, uh, in, in, the, in all of Scripture. And there's simply text after thousands of texts that would be examples of such a thing. Isaiah 42, 8 through 10. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Therefore they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down into the sea, and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Sing, bring glory uh, to the Lord. Sola Dea Gloria, the watchword, uh, one of the watchword phrases of the Reformation, the culminating declaration, last not because it's least, but because it encompasses the whole and entirety of our lives. All that we have and all that we are are to bring glory to God. To our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. To our Father. To the Holy Spirit. And so, people of God, live steadfastly 
growing in grace and in knowledge to the glory of God. Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, would declare the praise and honor and glory that's brought to God and to the Son in this way. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. Amen. A gracious God and Heavenly Father, May we, O God, join the chorus of the church triumphant in glory and sing and live to Your name's honor and glory. May all praise and adoration be Yours. And Father, may we recognize from where You have brought us. May we stay steadfast. May we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And thereby, O God, bring glory to You, the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Help us in this week to live out the reality that we would live solely to Your name's honor and glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to our song of application, uh, number 68, verses 1, 11, and 12. And don't get too confused. Uh, 68, verse 1, and then you have to turn the page to get to verse 11 and 12. So the first and the last two verses, but turn the page to get to verses 11 and 12. 